Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Okie doke, I think I heard something. It was faint. Hi, how you doing? It's uh, February 3rd. Uh, it's a Wednesday. I'm just, I'm telling that to myself. <laughs> just trying to get my bearings. Oh my gosh. Um, what are we going to do when the, if the, um, if the impeachment is on during my show, are we going to, are we going to have a show? I got to watch the impeachment, I think. I don't know. I've just been wondering about that. Okay. Uh, geez, I just read something just right before um, I heard that tepid beep in my ear. I I saw something on Twitter, which just, you know, really didn't su- surprise me, but astonished, but astonished me. Now, Tell me if that's not an absurd remark. Yes, it is. It's not voting well. It reminds me of what I told my brother when I was, um, I don't know, maybe about 11, maybe even 12. I hotly, he was teasing me about something about, you know, boys. And I said to him, I'd much rather neck with a boy than make out with him. (laughs) And that's sort of akin to what I I just said about, I'm not surprised, I'm astonished. Um, I don't know what I thought. I thought necking seemed, I, I knew making out was like kissing and stuff. And I thought necking was maybe you just sort of like, you know, I don't know, wrapped your necks around each other or something. It seemed more cuddly. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, here's what I saw that just astonished but didn't surprise me. Yoshiro Mori, the Tokyo Olympics committee president and a former Japanese prime minister, has prompted outrage after he said women talked too much in meetings and should have their speaking time regulated. Oh, my God. As any woman will tell you, it is men. (laughs) It is men who talk in meetings. And when a woman managed to get a word in edgewise, she's usually sort of, yeah, shut up pretty quickly. And then a man will say the same thing that she said, and everybody will say, oh, yeah, never thought of that before. God almighty. Unbelievable. Jeez. Oh, God, ladies. We've come a long way, haven't we? Oh, so I'm starting to see concern about the Super Bowl being a super spreader, not the actual Super Bowl itself, but the fact that uh, Americans see the Super Bowl as kind of a national holiday, which means you get to drink and eat too much and be with people, right? And so I'm just saying that uh, the concern in the epidemiological community is that we're just starting to see this like good news. We're starting to see uh, a drop in new cases, a drop in deaths um, from that horror of, uh, of, of January. And after the surges that resulted from Americans getting together because it's a holiday and to eat and drink, right? 
So the concern is, is that just as we're getting close to, as one epidemiologist put it, turning a corner, that we've got an opportunity here to just double down and build on this, and we might be able to actually make some real progress. And you know, what? Uh, one survey said that 30% of Americans intend to be with friends and or family uh, to party it up for the Super Bowl. That's interesting, that 30% figure all the time. <laughs> you don't suppose there's some kind of like, you know, overlap between like people who intend to party like it's a really smart thing to do and people who like vote for Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and that cohort is, is it's yeah, it's always about a third, a third. I'm just telling you that there is concern that this is going to be like Thanksgiving or Christmas, even though it's, uh, it's just one day. But uh, people will be people, which is to say they'll be stupid. Okay, I just want to talk a little bit more about this, if you don't mind. Um, I've railed about the vaccine's availability and how it is being dispensed. Um, and, you know, I, I have facts to buttress uh, my, my grievance. Um, and the other thing that, you know, makes me angry is that it, it, it because it's just being this decentralized approach, which throws it to hospitals and pharmacies to to do something they've really never had to do, that they're not geared up to do, uh, that they don't have the resources to do, uh, and you wonder why it's a it's a it's a nightmare. The thing is, is that it's it's human nature, as usual, that mucks things up. Uh, people who are not eligible, muscling their way in and getting rewarded for their bad behavior by getting the vaccine. Now, when it was first released, the Centers for Disease Control were very clear that Healthcare personnel and uh, nursing home uh, residents received the first doses. That made sense. Anyone in their right mind would know that that meant people who are most in danger of exposure. So when they said hospital personnel, they weren't talking about some suit sitting miles away from any clinical setting, some administrator, and all the people around him. They weren't talking about those people. They're not interacting with the sick. But of course, hospitals, most, immediately decided that that meant their people could get the first doses. That is what UPMC did and was unapologetic about it. So that even doctors who have nothing to do with infectious disease, let's say a, a psychiatrist, a therapist, who are now all working from home, they got the vaccine. When there are all these people who, because they have to work in a service job, are out there all the time exposed. So I just want to say that 
I, my, you know, the, the anger and, uh, that I feel for the evil empire known as UPMC, um, has actually even increased. I didn't think that was possible without my head exploding. Uh, and then you, you know, you add to that the UPMC doesn't pay any taxes, right? And we pay the taxes, you and me. They don't. Did they think about us, the community, at all when they made these choices? Certainly not. They did what they always do. They thought about themselves. The uh, noted medical ethicist Arthur Kaplan has, I, I can't quite remember, he said something about like, I want to puke. <laughs> something like that. I, I'm paraphrasing it, but I definitely got the tone. So all these politicians get, you know, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Those with connections, those in the know. And then we find out that sometimes the hospital said, well, we had some doses that we didn't want to go to waste. And so we gave them to, yeah, our second cousins and our, and, and this, because you wouldn't want to have those things wasted. And my gosh, as, um, as one uh, opinion writer wrote, hey, if there were unexpected extras, uh, wouldn't a smart hospital, uh, a hospital given to caring about the community that supports it, have walked those doses to patients in the maybe diabetes clinic or to um, people in, in their care? with hypertension or in the, then give it to people in the hospital who don't work for you. Okay. Who you're supposed to be caring for or walk them over to a nursing home nearby or an assisted living facility. Um, in England, just as a, a point of comparison, uh, they're not, Brit, Brits aren't doing what we're doing, uh, you know, desperately trying to find a place to get, to get an appointment before another desperate person gets it. And they're, they're not doing that because that's not how the system works there. They wait. And they are notified when it is their turn to book an appointment. That's the way it works if you have an actual structure in place. They don't have to play elbow your neighbor out of the way. They don't have to, yeah, shove some old person to the side and jump in ahead of them. No, they don't have to. They have rules and a, a system that works. So today's front page of the New York Times talked about uh in Washington, D.C., for instance, as soon as uh, the city uh, got vaccine and they said that people 65 and older uh, could have it, and those vaccines were available at uh, hospitals and clinics, a guy named George Jones, who runs a clinic called Bread for the City, 
which you can sort of tell from its name, is intended to provide services to the poor. It's a health clinic for the poor. And as soon as DC gave the go-ahead for people 65 and older, I'll quote him. Suddenly, our clinic was full of white people. We'd never seen that before. We serve people who are disproportionately African-American. Yeah, but those white people, they got the means, they got the time, they got the transportation, they got the wherewithal. They got fast internet. And I say this because I got my first shot last night. And I got it at Allegheny General Hospital. And the thing I couldn't help but note when I went in was that everybody there was white. Everybody was white. There was nothing but old white people like me. And I looked around and I thought, you know, I always have this feeling when I see that kind of, well, what usually amounts to self-segregation. But I thought, this just doesn't look like Pittsburgh. It actually looked like the suburbs. That's what it looked like. In Philadelphia, a city with a population that is 44% black, the early data show that black people represent only 12% of the people who have accessed a vaccination. In Colorado, one of 16 white residents have already received vaccine. The Latino community, one in 50. One in 16 for whites. One in 50 for Latinos, who, by the way, comprise 20% of the population there and whose community is being ravaged by this virus. Some cities are trying to remedy this. Uh, Baltimore is going mobile. So they are taking the vaccine into housing complexes, mostly for the elderly. So where they know there is a, a place that is full of people who are vulnerable and need it, they're not asking those people to navigate this labyrinthian lunacy by themselves, they're taking the virus, the vaccine, to them. And obviously what they say is this is only going to work as long as they have supply. Here's a, a, a county in North Carolina, Wake County, which uh, actually includes Raleigh, North Carolina. They're trying to get people 75 and older, but they're targeting just nine zip codes. And those zip codes are the zip codes that have the highest rate of COVID. And as a county spokeswoman says, we aren't going to prioritize those who simply have 
faster internet. And I have to say, I so appreciate that. I don't know that that's happening here, this kind of thing. Washington, uh, D.C., by the way, where the gentleman who runs uh, the bread of Bread for the city, uh, health care service for the poor, and is inundated now with uh, white folks. Uh, Washington has, uh, D.C. has started trying to deal with, with this. 74% of all the deaths from COVID in Washington have been black people. 74%. They make up 46% of the population. So last week, the city announced a new policy. And they are offering up new appointments to people in specific zip codes. The zip codes with the highest rates of infection and death. And that is not where all those white people who swarmed to the, the uh, bread for the city health center live. Oh, God. I don't know. I just don't know. I I hope and I I I think things are going to get better, faster, quicker, uh, just by virtue of the fact that Joe Biden is sitting in the White House. But I am still decidedly unimpressed with what I have personally seen. And I'm feeling somewhat guilty about having this sore arm today. Oh, Lord. So, oh, speaking of the Super Bowl, I want I saw this in the Washington Post, and um, and I. Oh, of course, it's not working. Um, I was confused. And, you know, I've lived here for, good God, most of my life. But I'm I'm not a yinzer. That's true. Uh, so I thought maybe I, is it possible I missed something here? Because the, the Washington Post had this uh, map in which they, they put what, is eaten for Super Bowl fare uh, in various states, that different states have sort of different menus. And I'm sure this is bull, I mean, in general. But so I bit and, and decided to look. And, you know, sure, you see, uh, you know, wings and and stuff, but I checked Pennsylvania, and I don't even know what this is. It says that we in Pennsylvania for our Super Bowl fair apparently chow down on something called a Cuban sandwich. What the hell is that? I've never even heard of one. <laughs> what? Hello? Does anyone, seriously, if any of you know a Cuban sandwich, what the hell it is, I have never encountered one in my life, and I have been to Super Bowl parties, and it's, you know, the usual you know, football fair, and Cuban sandwiches are not part of that in my experience. But then, you know, I'm maybe not hanging out with the right crowd. I don't know. 
Can I, um, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place today and um, forgive me. That's all I can say. Uh, I have this thing I want to share. <laughs> I think I've been wanting to share it for like, uh, you know, 12 years or something. And I've never, I don't think I've ever said this out loud. Maybe I said it once. But I heard something the other day that just made me feel like I have to say this. Because of all the, think it has to do with Barack Obama. And, and think of all the things, the books, the articles, the this is the that's that have been written about this man. I mean, it's just one, one, one could not, you know, ingest it all. But I, you know, read a lot. And I have never seen in print what I am about to say <laughs> about Barack Obama. And it's, it's a thing that annoys me. And it, it's not his fault. It's just something that would annoy me if it were anybody. And to me, it is so pronounced that I can't believe I'm alone. I've never heard anybody else say it either. When Barack Obama speaks, his S's whistle. They literally whistle. And dang it, I should have to back me up almost anything. Just find, find some audio of Barack Obama with some S's in it. And, you know, S is a pretty uh, prolific little letter. I mean, it makes its way into tons of words and hard to even do a sentence without one, but Obama, when he, when he does the S sound, it whistles. I'm not kidding you. It's a whistle. And it, 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 it just, it's not quite chalk on a blackboard to me, but it is most un. I, I just drives me crazy. Why have you ever noticed it? Am I the only? Seriously, I'm, I'm wondering about this. Nobody, nobody's helping me with Cuban say. Oh, here's a Cuban sandwich. Uh, it's pulled pork in sauce, says Susan. Okay, well that's good, fair. I like that, but what? Why would, and Ed says, I like him. And he's got Wikipedia here. <laughs> but it's different. He says, Cuban sandwich is a variation of a ham and cheese sandwich that likely originated in cafes catering to Cuban workers in Tampa or Key West in Cuban immigrant communities centered around the cigar industry. Well, why the heck would Pennsylvania have the Cuban sandwich as it's, okay, well, here, this is absurd because the reality is um, the whole piece is a bunch of crap. I mean, this is just one of those filler pieces and I, for all I know, whoever supposedly reported on it, made it all up. Um, the sandwich is made with ham, roasted pork, Swiss cheese, pickles, mustard, and sometimes salami on Cuban bread. Well, I like Susan's better. I just like, you know, pulled pork and a kind of barbecue -y sauce, right?
Anyway, the Cuban sandwich, ladies and gentlemen, and if at your super spreader uh, Super Bowl party, you are not offering your unmasked guests uh, Cuban sandwiches, then you are not really uh, holding up uh, Pennsylvania pride. I'm just telling you. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, I am going to um, find um, an audio. It shouldn't be hard to find an audio recording of Barack Obama. But what what happened is I I happened to uh, hear something he said recently. And oh, my God, I swear the whistle's gotten worse. I don't know what it was like. It was like unbelievable. All right, I'll stop. I feel like I've lost my mind today. I thought Dana Milbank, or is it Dana? I don't know, had a, a great piece in, uh, hang on, something more about a Cuban sandwich. Um, well, I'm sure they're good. I'm just saying, why is that a Pennsylvania thing? Cuban sandwich. Yeah, and this one has pork tenderloin, Oh my God, ooh, this does look good. It's a recipe. And it has uh, cumin and oregano and garlic and lime juice and orange juice and pickle chips and a lot of mustard. Hmm. Okay, thank you. <coughs> um, where was I? Millbank. He um, did a piece today that I thought really uh, stuck it to Mitch McConnell. It's titled, Has Mitch McConnell Been Struck by a Jewish Space Laser? Um, Let me see. I'm not going to read this whole thing to you, but... uh, (laughs) <laughs> he's on McConnell for all of a sudden, you know, saying that uh, that what's her name, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is a is a crazy person, and um, and Liz Cheney has more courage, and uh, so he did say that. Uh, Cheney is a leader with deep convictions and the courage to act on them. <laughs> Stop and think about that. I mean, I don't even know if that's true. It, it, it's true in this instance. But this is a, a, a phrase that could never be applied to McConnell himself, Right. Mitch McConnell calls Liz Cheney a leader with deep convictions and the courage to act on them. And Milbank notes it and then says, which is why McConnell let her twist in the wind for 21 days before coming to her defense. (laughs) Right. Um, Which is a better way of saying what I just said. McConnell has no convictions and no courage. And then, of course, he said that Marjorie Taylor Greene's loony lies and conspiracy theories are a cancer on the Republican Party. To which Milbank says, which is why McConnell said nothing about her loony lies and conspiracy theories in the nearly six months since she won the Republican nomination for her House seat. And then there was McConnell, as we know, uh, saying that doubts about uh, Biden's victory were, quote, incited without any evidence. He said that on January 6th. Milbank says, yeah, 
Meanwhile, of course, he refused to acknowledge Biden's victory for more than a month after the election as Trump spread lies and his colleagues spread lies about the fra- a fraudulent election. And a little more. McConnell said the pro-Trump mob that attacked the Capitol was fed lies and was provoked by the president. And he even hinted that may be impeachable. And then just a few days later, he voted for Rand Paul's motion that it was unconstitutional to hold an impeachment trial. And McConnell is now demanding that Democrats practice bipartisanship after blocking the Democrats from organizing the Senate they now ostensibly control. I, I don't know how any of these people um, are, are taken uh, seriously at all. I just don't understand it. Oh, boy. Jonathan says. Oh, also, he says the best Cuban sandwich locally is apparently at Kaya, which is... Uh, that makes sense because they do Cuban food, <laughs> which is uh, in the in the strip. And Jonathan has found something that was written about Obama and his S's. The headline is: When Obama talks, why do his S's sound like a whistle? Ah! Does he have a speech impediment? I think he does, because it's, yeah. Anyway, here's what this is. It stood out to me because I struggled with it myself after overcoming stuttering and mumbling, writes a guy named David Rader. Uh, The mumbling and stuttering was almost entirely psychological, while the whistling came, can form over time as teeth shift. I wondered if it had to do with teeth. Yeah. The whistle sound during the S comes from a stream of air across the tips of the teeth. It can form so gradually as the teeth shift, someone may be whistling for some time (laughs) before they noticed it uh, themselves. I love Obama and maybe that's why, and the reporters did too, and maybe that's why it was never really publicized. Or maybe even partisan papers have had a little humanity in the past and don't want to write a front page article about someone's speech impediment. Well, I guess I'm the jerk who who did say something publicly. Um I noticed in the early years of his presidency, his whistle subsided to practical nothingness. I imagine he received a little coaching, but he was probably strong-willed and self-conscious enough to fix it on his own. Um, Well, I got news for you. I think what I heard was recent. So uh, the whistle's back. I mean, what, what I God, I wish I could find what I heard. I, I don't think he can help it. I mean, it just whistles. Just saying. But thank you for that. I'm not totally alone. More on Cuban sandwiches. Chuck writes, I certainly know a lot about Cuban sandwiches, but I've never known them to be common fare for Super Bowl parties. Well, I, you know, I really think, Chuck, that the Wall, the Washington Post reporter just friggin' made it up. And contrary to your earlier report, it is not pulled pork. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at a picture that somebody else sent me, and it's not pulled pork. It is ham, pickles, pork, Swiss, and mustard, typically. 
the best I've ever had were in Miami. Well, Ed, let's see what you have to say. According to my physical therapist, okay, who oh, who is from Cuba, <laughs> this is the best Cuban sandwich he has ever eaten outside Cuba. And it's at the B&M restaurant in Heidelberg. Okay. They call it the Kickin' Cuban. Our signature Chipotle braised pork shoulder ham off the bone, brick cheese, truck pickles, and remoulade on grilled ciabatta. You know, stop and think about what I just said or read. Um, it's America. There's America. Do you realize that recipe, that list of ingredients, has Italian, French, and, well, Chipotle and Mexican or south of the border. Just look at Cuban. Uh, but look, look at our the mix, what immigration has done for this country. It has given us this incredible cornucopia of foods, wonderful foods from all over the world that people have brought here and introduced us to. And we have eagerly, you know, taken them in or as our lunatic lefties would say we've appropriated them. <laughs> wow, that is great. Um, Ansel writes about a piece that I think Ryan wrote in City Paper this week. And I I had just started it when this I heard that beep. So I, I haven't read it. Ansel has. He said, I read the piece on Paul Mango. Paul Mango, if that name rings a bell, uh, is a jerk from uh, Pittsburgh who uh, thought he sh should be the governor. And um, I can't remember what year, but he threw his hat in the ring as a Republican and uh, didn't make it. I read the – I mean, he, didn't, he made, didn't make it through the primary. I, and Ansel writes, I read the piece on Paul Mango from City Paper, and is there any doubt why Pennsylvania is struggling to get enough doses of the vaccine? It has, it's something about the fact that this guy went to work, Mango. Uh, his political hopes of elected office dashed. He went off to serve Donald Trump. And um, again, I haven't read the article, but apparently had something to do with stymieing the vaccine uh, distribution. And uh, he's quite proud of it. So something to read in city paper. Uh, anyway, Ansel says, the article made me wonder if Trump and Mango were penalizing the swing states by withholding funding for vaccines. Mango certainly had a chip on his shoulder when he lost the Republican primary. Hmm. Well, um, I will make a point of, uh, of reading that. So thank you. Uh, Beth writes, in reading uh, Milbank's piece, uh, we thought Mitch's turnaround was due to an invitation by Dick Cheney to go hunting with him. <laughs> you know what? I read the Dick Cheney, um, just had his 80th birthday. Didn't you think he was older than that? It feels like he's been around tormenting me for most of my life. And I, I mean, that was a long time ago, it seems, that he was the vice president, but maybe not. And I thought he was old then. He just acts like a grumpy old. He looks like a grumpy old man. He acts like a grumpy old man. Dangerous man. God almighty. Well, which is why you wouldn't want to go hunting with him. And not only that, the thing about him, that he's still alive. This is a guy who was carrying his heart around in a suitcase for a little while there. I mean, he didn't have, boy, talk about 
them that's got gets. He had a heart that was apparently useless. And, you know, a lot of people end up with hearts that are pretty useless. I don't think many people get the care that this guy got so that he's around to celebrate his 80th birthday. Jeez. And see his daughter, like, touted as a a voice of reason, a principled voice of reason. Oh, my God. Okay. Enough on Cuban sandwiches, okay? It, it, although all this talk did make me uh, did make me hungry. Um, did you see this piece that a uh, that some federal judge let some woman who was one of the rioters at the Capitol who has been arrested and charged, and she said, hey, "Your Honor, I am. I had planned a." a vacation in Mexico, and um, I would really like to go. I mean, I can do that, right? And yeah, he said, go for it. Go for it. You're just a white rioter. You can do whatever you want, dear. And so, first of all, who would go on a vacation during a pandemic? Well, sure, uh, Trump uh, supporter. Um, who would choose Mexico, which is uh, where the virus is rampant? Well, what the hell? Send her and maybe, you know, maybe she can get it. But so this is our justice system. Uh, this white rioter uh, gets, you know, to go on vacation. And, um, well, in any news cycle, there are umpteen reports that I could then contrast that with in terms of uh, the kind of justice that a black person received, right? It really gets to be so, so in your face that for anyone to suggest that the systemic racism in our country, in our judicial system, in every system you can conjure, is so apparent. It's not subtle. It's just right out there. How anyone could say, as do I think an extraordinary number of Americans, if not most, I don't know, most white Americans, that um, we are not a racist nation. What? Somebody has just uh, emailed me. Do you need anti-vibration rubber products? You know. God. Oh, God. Okay. So, where am I? What am I doing? Oh, um... And also, speaking of justice, did you... It's loosely. Did you see that one of Trump's lawyers, this uh, Lynn Wood guy, um, who was promoting some of the most absurd, uh, just absurd uh, theories of uh, voter fraud, um, is now under investigation? <laughs> I love it. By none other than the Georgia Secretary of State's office. He is more than anybody was trying to whip people up into uh, believing that somehow the vote in Georgia was, of course, uh, fraudulent. And as we know, the the Republican Secretary of State stood up to the president's attempts to shake him down for all the stood up and. And now I love it. I love it. The Georgia Secretary of State is launch, has launched an investigation, and the investigation is about whether this jerk attorney would voted fraudulently in Georgia. Because he did cast his, his vote in the November 3rd election. 
in Georgia. And the Georgia Secretary of State says um, that they've launched this investigation because Wood has confirmed that he moved to South Carolina last year. So, (laughs) yeah, just add it to the you can't make it up stuff. Good God. Incredible. Um, Okay, just looking. Did any of you guys watch 60 Minutes on uh, Sunday? I'm not going to watch that again anymore because, I mean, they do some really good journalistic work. But it's like the entire show was geared to making me feel extreme anxiety about something that wasn't even on my anxiety-producing radar. I didn't know nothing about this. And so by educating me and informing me, as good journalists do, uh, 60 Minutes made me a wreck about China. And what they're doing and how they're so far out ahead of us that, I mean, the reality is, uh, just to sum it up if you haven't seen it, that the, um, the Chinese government has been very, very insistent on for years and years and years acquiring your health data. My health data. They have it. You got to figure they already have it. They've done it legally and illegally. They've done it through um, hacking. What they're really after is our DNA information. That's the that's the mother load. And um, they've been collecting these huge uh, troves. Uh, not just from us, but from all over the world. They're doing this in every nation. And once they have like this, you know, enough information, every little piece of data makes the pool richer. And this apparently, you know, I, I would say, yeah, so what, so what, why are they doing it? Well, If they have all that information, then they could really corner in many ways, get way out in front of everybody else on all kinds of, well, vaccines, for instance, or any kind of medical stuff. They could own uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, one of the things they said is that, remember when, about a year ago now, more than a year ago, when the first case, that first outbreak in Washington State at a nursing home there got our attention. I believe it was the governor of Washington was contacted by this uh, company from China. It's a company called BGI. And these very nice Chinese people said, I know you've got this outbreak here and we would be glad to send you these uh, testing kits and we can establish testing labs for you and help you contain this. Well, the governor of Washington state was concerned enough about the strange, (laughs) kind, neighborly offer of this company that he contacted um, the government. And of course, immediately found that this is a company that is essentially 
the Chinese government. Meanwhile, this was not the only uh, elected official that they were offering these nice gifts to. It's Trojan horse stuff. They were doing it all over the world as countries scrambled. And so that's one of the ways now they have gotten just tons of this genomic data from populations all over the globe. And that, guys, is how new medical discoveries are made, cures, the commercial value alone of cures and discoveries is huge. And we know that China is way ahead of everybody in using artificial intelligence. They also want to be way ahead of everybody in their medical industries. Uh, so on 60 Minutes, the, this former director of some whatever National Counterintelligence and Security Center he was scary to listen to. I mean, really scary. I had to, I really stopped, I stopped watching because I thought I am getting so, I don't need any more anxiety. But he was quite clear that China has absolutely obtained your personal medical and genetic data. He went on to say that five or six healthcare companies in this country in the last five years have been uh, either hacked or penetrated by the Chinese. And current estimates are that 80% of American adults have had all their personally identifiable information stolen by the Communist Party of China. And they're playing the long game. They're, they're, they're going to get way out ahead of our biotech industry, which, of course, then leaves us dependent on the Chinese for innovation and drug development. The guy, this on 60 Minutes, went so far as that the U.S. could face the threat of China trying to systematically eliminate our health care services. I'm telling you, this was scary. I'd never even heard about it before. So... I'm thinking to myself, why should I be anxious all by myself? I'll let you be anxious too. God, if you, I'm sure it's available on demand, but if you, um, yeah, if you want, check it out. It is unsettling. And uh, you keep getting the impression that as a country, we are just, we've just dropped so, dropped the ball in so many ways and are not vigilant and are looking for uh, enemies in the wrong places. You know, the fact that the greatest terrorist threat to us has been right here all along. It's right here. And we were oblivious. Some of us weren't. But our government chose to be oblivious because nobody wanted to offend all those white people. Uh, I don't know. Oh, there's one other thing I wanted to share with you because it's better news. Better news. Let's have that better news. Um, that I, um, the other day I was saying, you know, 20... 2022 uh, midterms could be uh, a very scary time uh, because the the Republicans 
given our electorate, could end up actually taking the Senate and the House back. We've got, what, a one-vote margin. It's really 50-50. 50 senators, Republicans, 50 Democrats, even though some of those Democrats aren't even Democrats, like uh, like Sanders and um, Angus, what's his name? These these guys from uh, you know New England who are determined to be independent. God bless them. Uh, but in people who scope out this stuff say that 2020 for the Senate is a much bleaker picture for the Republicans than for the Democrats. So that's good. Republicans are going to have to be defending 20 of their seats, while the Democrats have to defend just 14. And the 14 that the Democrats are defending are all in states that Joe Biden won. A lot of Republicans, as you know, are retiring. And it's unclear whether a whole bunch more will, including Chuck Grassley, Richard Shelby, John Thune. None of them have said they are running for re-elections. So this little item says the Democrats are in a strong position, at least at this point, to expand their Senate majority, um, even though this, you know, initial midterm election with a new president is usually bad news for the president's party to be expanding, but it can happen. And apparently, the Senate, I think, the House is is more frightening. And 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 just imagine who would be the speaker. It'd be Kevin McCarthy. That spineless sycophant. So anyway, I needed to tell you that. Hey, tomorrow my brother is going to join us. This week will be a real family affair. He has written a book which has so many provocative and wonderful things in it. And I want to share it with you. He's, he's, um, every time he comes on, he says things that just horrify people, but that's, he's my brother. It's the way it goes. But uh, his book is called Outrageous Fortune, uh, Oxford University uh, Press. Um, his books are always put out by these, you know, Harvard and Oxford, Harvard. Harvard and Oxford, they, they're the ones who are always publishing because his stuff is very intellectual. And I often have, have trouble reading it because it demands of my brain uh, more than my brain wants to give. Not that it's incapable, but it's gotten lazy. Anyone who's got a brain that's itching to be uh, provoked and or uh, exercised uh, would do well to uh, read my brother's books. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, so he'll, he'll be by uh, tomorrow and uh, it's about us. It's about human nature. It's about luck and how we view luck. It's about cheese faith but he comes at it in so many uh, strange ways that, um, well, if you want to be challenged, tune in tomorrow. I think it'll be a good one. Okay. And meanwhile, I got to go back and read the next few chapters. Okay. Enjoy the sun. It's out. Now I'm going to go walk on a treadmill. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.